Hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. Hope everyone is well. I'm your host, Max Stokes, joined as ever by Simon Lyon. Simon, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm not too bad, yeah, I'm not too bad. Enjoying the sunshine. Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit too hot, isn't it? I mean, I'm recording this. I mean, this is a horrible picture, but topless. It's, I mean, if you can hear anything outside, the windows are open, cars, birds are singing. It's got to be done. It's, it's far too hot. I hate to moan and be that sort of classic British person, but just coming back from holiday, it's nothing like that. Can't sleep, can't do anything. People abroad listen to this probably thinking what you're on about it's only 25 degrees but honestly heat in this country is vile so hopefully we can get this podcast out the way uh, without drowning in our own sweat but anyway cracking on this podcast isn't really anything specific is it really there's no obviously no games to talk about no nothing like that just a, a bit of a roundup sort of plenty of villa news going on at this early stage um in the summer window so we'll catch up a little bit on that are you missing the football because uh, we've both been on holiday so i don't i think from my perspective i'm not probably missing it as much as I probably thought I would. I think because we ended the season on such a high, I think I'm still sort of on the crest of that wave, really. I'm not missing it as much as I probably thought I would. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I've obviously I've had a I've had a holiday and I've still got a couple of things going on. So no, probably not as much as I usually would, but it's still I don't know, like I'm still like looking look, looking for your villa news and stuff and hoping there was something, you know, more going on in terms of actual games and stuff, I suppose. But pro- probably not as much as most summers and you know what, it'll be it'll be back here before we know it, won't it? I know, I know you were saying a, a few weeks ago, like the turnaround isn't isn't really that much. I think that Warsaw pre-season game is the first bit of action we've got to look forward to. And when's that sort of as of recording? Probably, what, just over three weeks, three and a half weeks. So uh, yeah, I mean, we always look forward to that Warsaw game, don't we? Because that is literally the, the only bit of action that you've got to look forward to over like the summer months and stuff. So roll on Warsaw, that's what I say. Only a few weeks to go, nearly there. Yeah, yeah, it won't be, it won't be longer. It's the 15th of July, isn't it? So is it, what is it, a month today, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, look forward to that then. Um, Coming up in this podcast, then, we'll obviously talk about the most topical news, which is the fixture release that obviously came out on the day of recording. We'll talk about the Uri Tillemans news as well. Obviously, that's the first signing that pretty much got done in the Premier League, really. Obviously, the the major signing, there's a few bits going on, but in terms of a big signing, probably the first bit of uh, action that's happened in the Premier League. Obviously, talking about Christian Perslow leaving Aston Villa, Monchi potentially joining Aston Villa, which seems to have gone on for a very long time, and a few other bits as well. Just before we crack on, to that then go and check out the other recent videos or podcasts that we've either got on the uh, the youtube channel or on the podcast channels as well uh, did a keep or sell video transfer chat video the player awards video at the end of last season as well so go and check all of those out subscribe to the villa on tour youtube channel over there of course and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode obviously during the season we try to do a podcast that comes out uh, every monday morning but of course during the summer it's a bit all over the place we thought we'd hop on today uh, talk about obviously that there's a fair bit of news to get through so it's a bit all over the place over summer but uh, thanks for listening do bear with us and there will be a few bits coming out of course over the summer so we'll start with it then fixture releases um i'm not sure if i actually get excited for this i'll probably get excited about 10 minutes either side of nine o'clock in the morning when it actually all comes out you're probably looking at the first game of the season last game of the season what happens around your birthday what happens over christmas boxing day that sort of thing and it starts off quite interestingly doesn't it newcastle away we've already booked our our hotel newcastle is one of them away games for us obviously as, as match going fans that you think right yeah 100% weekender of that and for it to be first game as well buzzing for that one mate 
Yeah, yeah, quite a tasty one, isn't it? I think uh, I think for a few reasons, really. It's one of our favourite ones, just because of the of the trip. We always do a couple of nights in Newcastle, don't we? It's always a it's always a good night sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we always we always go up on the Friday, don't we, and come back on the Sundays. Um, you know, as long as it's on the on the weekend. And so yeah, so we got that. And then also, it's quite a tasty game in terms of the actual fixture as well, isn't it? You know, obviously with the end of the season we had under Emery and uh, and us getting the better of Newcastle at Villa Park. You know, you you sort of look at it and you think. It's not, you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't rule Villa out of it, sort of thing. I think some people think, oh, you know, it's going to be a really tough game because obviously they're a Champions League side now, and they did absolutely brilliantly uh, last season. But I, I don't think, I think, I think Newcastle fans, when that when that came out this morning at nine o'clock, I bet you they weren't sitting there thinking, oh yeah, that's a really easy start to the season for us. I mean, home against Villa these days is, is, isn't an easy fixture for anybody. So I'm buzzing for it. I am. I can't wait for it. First day, the first day of the season. Um, hopefully, hopefully some nice weather in Newcastle. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I think we've been there. I don't know how many times you've been there, but I've been there a couple of times. Watched us lose four 0 last season, which was absolutely ranking Aaron Danks's second game in charge. One four 0 against Brentford, obviously, and then we went up there thinking, okay, you know, a little bit of momentum here. We don't really know what to expect with us being managerless, and it was it was absolutely horrid. I think Newcastle absolutely turned us over that day. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't very nice at all. Uh, what was the other time we went up there? Oh, it was when we lost one 0 under Gerrard, wasn't it? Yeah. And there's that those sort of pictures going around of him slumped in his seat and then the following week I remember us losing at home to Watford who ended up getting relegated horrible horrible signs but you're right Newcastle would have looked at that and thought you know not not an easy game not an easy game at all um so I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing for that for us all to get had the hotels booked and everything like that absolutely yeah. buzzing I think it's already scheduled now isn't it for what half five so it'll be on TV and things like that I think the last couple of times we've been up there has been October so the weather's not been ideal hopefully in the sun city centre late kickoff can't beat it can you really bring it on I think you've got to have that sort of mentality of okay yeah it's a big side it's an opportunity for us everyone's talking about oh you know you want it want an easy start potentially we've had that in the last few seasons yeah. and we've lost like last season was Bournemouth newly promoted side last time before that was Watford on paper you'd think yes lost that as well so it's a chance it's an opportunity and that's how you really want to start off prove a point and get going yeah well you can't ever predict it can your opening day it's uh it's you know some teams some teams notoriously start quite slowly don't they and so you hope that Newcastle will be one of them, really. Yeah, everyone, everyone will look at it and think, "Ah, oh, Newcastle with the home supporters, you know, back at St James's Park opening day, they they should win." But you know what it's like. Some teams take a little while to get going, and so Villa will go there confident, I think. And and as you say, like it's, there's there's no there's no rule on it, is there on the opening day? Like like I say, we, we like you just said, we've been to Bournemouth and Watford have been absolutely terrible, and you know got turned over in both fixtures, and so yeah, I don't think. Um, I don't think I'd have been too upset with anybody, if I'm being honest. You've got to play them all, haven't you? Um, and, yeah, you know, your open day of the season, you hope you catch them on a bit of an off day or a bit of a slow start sort of thing. Yeah, I think opening day is, is a weird one, I think, especially in the last couple of years. We've been sort of guilty of being complacent and teams on the opening day don't have that sort of opportunity of having any momentum at all. So I say bring it on, absolutely bring it on. That should be a really, really good one. Interesting point is that Villa requested to be away first on the opening game. Um, that's due to a few obvious factors like rebranding the stadium, obviously with a new badge coming in, uh, refitting the rail seat in the upper hole, which I actually got. I don't know if I told you this. I got an email a couple of weeks yeah. ago actually that, I was, uh, that said that I'd be um, when one of the seats where rail seating is being introduced mm. in the upper hall, which is very exciting. I, for one, am very much looking forward to that. I think it's in the upper hall next season, as well as the uh, upper dog in the away end. So that'll be that'll be very, very decent. As well as the fact that, obviously, there's a few things going on. The pitch, I think Pink was on doing some concert that was going on this week, all the 
the con- the, yeah. the motocross and all this sort of stuff like that. So obviously the pitch gets relayed every season, isn't it? But obviously mm. this has been pushed back because of various things. So it makes sense Villa Villa being away, and we are. It seems like we're away every single season, doesn't it? Like as far back as I can remember, I think Sheffield United in the lockdown season, but I don't really count that. I think there was one in the Championship uh, where Gabby scored against Hull and we drew one one. But apart from that can't really think of too many in the in recent history can you isn't there some like mad stat is that after today's fixture release date that at villa at 20 out of the last 29 opening days have been away from home which uh they say it's random they say it's random yeah. but like what what's what why surely not that's really I don't know. it is weird it is weird like like obviously this season is because of um because of what we've just said wasn't there something last season though as well didn't we request to be well i don't think the club requested but didn't the council request us to be away last season because of the oh something the to do with the games, commonwealth games wasn't it? Wasn't it? So sometimes it's factors out of the club's um you know out of the club's um you know control but yeah i mean 20 times out of 29 i mean that's crazy isn't it you're right even like when even when i was like younger like going down first going down i don't remember many opening days at villa park it is it is weird, really, when you think about it. Another weird one that sort of sticks out as well is Everton is the first home game. Obviously, that was the first home game when we just got promoted, wasn't it? We had Tottenham away and then Everton at Villa Park on that Friday night. It's our first home game last season after that horror show at Bournemouth. Is there something in that as well? It just seems it just seems strange. It just seems very strange. You look at the end of the season as well. Um, the season just gone. We had Brighton and Liverpool in the last uh, couple of games. They're in the last three games as well. I think Brighton is now away and Liverpool's at home. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? All these all these things that, that happen. They say it's random, but I, I don't really believe that. I think Burnley, Man City is the opening game as well. That's I think that's on the Friday night. And that's the winners of the Championship against the winners of the Premier League. That seems to happen every season as well. But the whole random thing, don't buy it. No, I, it's not, it can't be random, totally, can it? It can't be. I mean, it, when you say Everton as well, if you remember, we played Everton really early in the season in that in that season when we came back after lockdown as well. When um when 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 Bailey scored and got then got injured in the same game, that was only like the oh, yeah. that was like early either the end of August or early September, August. wasn't it? So mm. even that one was early on. So like, yeah, it feels like we always play Everton. Uh, really early on at Villa Park, although there are some fixtures which are reversed this season. I've noticed we got Wolves a little bit early on away this season, which mm. I asked for that, didn't I? So I don't want Wolves in like, April, May time again, because like, we seem to always <laughs> have them then. Uh, so at least we got them a yeah. little bit earlier. Maybe we can, maybe we can finally do something at Molyneux this season with that one. But don't be daft. Absolutely <laughs> no chance. Place your bets on a, a two 0 defeat there. No matter how crap Wolves are, we always lose there. I think December's quite interesting as well. Absolutely jam packed. Seven games in there. Boxing Day is always an interesting one, isn't it? We're away from home this time at Old Trafford. That's an interesting one. We've had some. I don't know, recent Boxing Day history, I think in terms of away games I can remember going to, Swansea away was a, a rough run uh, where we won 1-0. Nyland saved a penalty late on. Had a few few home games chucked in there as well. But Man United away on Boxing Day might be a tasty one. Yeah, it should be good. Although I don't I don't like being away on Boxing Day though. I've probably been at home really, but um, that that's just personal preference. I don't, I don't know why. I just, I'm not sure. I never really liked being away on Boxing Day. Mm, I'll probably disagree with you because there's no there's no trains on Boxing Day, so I have to drive, and it's all a bit yeah, of a I suppose. and you've got to worry about what the fa- what's the family doing on Boxing, who's coming round, and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. I quite like going away to Old Trafford as well. I'm buzzing for that. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it's different for you because you get the train down into the games, and so I suppose it's a little bit different. Mm. But yeah, I always quite like. I always look forward to like the home game. I think on Boxing Day, I don't know what it is. I think 
I don't know, we, we usually get together as like a family and then go to the villa and then come back and stuff. And that's mm. what we tend to do. So when we're away, obviously that throws it out the out the window. But no, it is what it is. And it will be, um, yeah, it'll be a tasty game on Boxing Day, definitely. Like you want a good game like that on Boxing Day, at least. Um, and at least it's not massively far as well. You don't want to be going to like Bournemouth or yeah. Newcastle on Boxing Day or something. So um, yeah, no, it, sh- it should be a good one. I think the one thing I noticed with the fixture list, though, is that I don't think there's one, you know, usually in the season when you have like, you look at the fixtures and you think, Oh, that that's a really tough month. That is, like we've got like some really really mm. tough tough run of run of games there. I didn't look at any of the months and think that looks really really tough. I thought it was fairly mm. like it was fairly even all the way through. Really, I mean, I suppose the starts tough because we've got a lot more away games at home, haven't we? Um, is it like mm. out of the first eight? We've got the, is it the first five, out of the first eight games? Five of them are away from home, aren't they? Um, yeah, that that's it. And then the, out of the first four, it's the three or four yeah. away from home. So, I suppose, so it's it's a little bit topsy turvy at the start. Yeah, so I suppose that makes the start tough. But I think going through the rest of the season, I think they're fairly, I think they're fairly like on a level. Really, I don't think we have crazily tough months and then crazily sort of you know easier months sort of thing. I think it's fairly fairly um, you know standard all the way through. Really, yeah, it's looking good. It's looking good. Ending the season away at Crystal Palace, which. I don't know. I, I'm not a massive fan of going to Crystal Palace, especially uh, on the coach because it's it's an arse to get to. It's it's not the best away end in the world. Um, but I know Notting Forest went there uh, last game of the season, just gone, and they had a party. So hopefully it'll be a decent atmosphere. Who knows what state Villa will be in at the end of the season away at Selhurst Park. Will that be a good one? Don't forget all the uh, the conference league sort of stuff that's going on as well. Yeah. Match day one, if we get there, by the way, we need to get through the qualifying round. So touch will be do that. Um, first match day is the 21st of September. So that'll be between the Everton and the Burnley game in August. So there's all of that sort of stuff to worry about, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it when hopefully we get through the qualifying round. Right, so that is the fixture chat out the way. Getting on to a little bit more serious stuff now. Christian Perslow uh, leaves Aston Villa. I think it was Monday this week that news was broken. What do you make of that then? What do you make of it? I don't think it really came as a shock really to anyone. The sort of writing was on the wall a little bit. I think there were sort of signs here and there that it might not be a happy camp really with the owners. Not, not. I don't think it was anything like sour or anything like that or a huge falling out. Just think there was small signs that he might be leaving Villa. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall a little bit, wasn't it? I think as he, as the season progressed, you saw less and less of him kind of thing. And I think... Um, you know, he clearly wasn't influential in the appointment of Emery or, he, he, well, he, he didn't lead it anyway, did he? He was obviously on board as a chief exec, but um, he didn't lead it, did he? Um, and I think that was quite quite evident. And I think um, and I think the other thing that I found really interesting in that interview he did with Sky News about six weeks ago, he mentioned how, on reflection, they probably hung on to Gerard for a little bit too long and I thought that was really interesting when he mm. said that because I thought yeah that's that's another thing you could tell that the the sacking of Steven Gerrard was clearly driven by Nasser Suiris, um and probably Wes Edens rather than rather than Christian Perslow and so I think I think that's probably been difficult for him to be honest in, in his relationship with the owners I think the owners probably looked at it and mm. thought well, this was your sort of project and it hasn't worked which you know I'll, I'll, I think I'd counterbalance and say well that happens with a lot of clubs you know you appoint managers and it just doesn't work like, that's happened with how many you know that happens with most clubs doesn't it you know I don't think um, I don't think you're always going to get every single decision right I mean to be fair to Christian Perslow we've got decisions such as like Dean Smith correct in the past um, and so I don't think you can totally totally hammer him for everything although you know the Gerard thing just didn't work it was one of them but yeah, I think there was a sense of inevitability about it, wasn't there? I think we were talking a few weeks ago. It felt with the appointment of uh, this Chris Hett coming in as the looking after the business and 
the commercial side of the football club. I think he's saying it sounded like his um you know, his duties were being watered down kind of thing and we really know Emery coming in and obviously he's demanded a certain level of control which the owners are happy to give him. Um he's not he's he's like I say, his role was sort of diluted down and I think there was still a, I think there was still a place for him and I think it's come out, hasn't it, that the owners gave him the opportunity to stay in a slightly different yeah, role yeah. if he wanted it. But obviously Christian Perslow being you know, he's been the main man at Villa over the last five years. He's basically ran the club on a day to day basis and so that probably didn't didn't really feel very palatable to him. And to be fair to Christian Perslow, I don't think he'd be short of suitors who, who who might want him on board, though I wouldn't be surprised to see him back within the Premier League or back I don't know, working for like the FA or the Premier League or something like that in the not too distant mm. future, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think I think with the Gerard thing it's interesting because people always hang up on the fact that Gerard was his thing and it was, but it's not like the owners wouldn't wouldn't have been involved in that at mm. all. And it's the reverse of sort of the Emery thing. It's not like Yes, yeah, Sawiris probably led on it. Of course he did. We know that. We've seen the pictures. But it's not like Christian Perslow wouldn't have been involved in that at all either. So yeah. I think, I think. look, I don't think he's perfect at all. But I don't think some of the stuff I, I'm seeing now on social media is, is totally justified, if I'm honest. I think another thing that you're probably looking at that didn't quite work was probably the, the, the Grealish thing in terms of what happened after those three signings. I don't know. You could argue either way. I think obviously one of them isn't even with us anymore in Danny Ings, but I think that was always going to be a really, really hard, hard job to do to sort of reinvest that hundred million and for it to go perfectly. I think obviously you've still got Leon Bailey and Amy Buendia at the club now, and they've been here a couple of years and hasn't quite got going just yet. So you could argue that fact potentially, but you look at the, some of the, the good stuff that he's done in terms of the academy, the inner city uh, academy that's just getting going at the moment, the women's team, which has been an incredible turnaround from where they were, what, two or three years ago? To be sort of best of the rest now is, is an incredible thing on the women's side of things. Um, what happened during COVID, that would have been really difficult leading sort of a football club in that sort of time. The Super League stuff, when that happened, he was very sort of vocal during that. So I think there's a, a lot of good stuff that he's done um, over the sort of five years that he's been here. And the sort of main thing you'd look at is look where we were when he came in, look where we are now. I think it's I think it was a, a sort of one that you could look at on both sides. He's done some good. He's done a, something that, that was pretty bad in Gerrard, but I don't know. I think it's pretty mixed. So I'm not, I'm not one of them who's going to slam him or celebrate that he's gone. I'm not going to do that. But I, I can see it from sort of both sides in a way. Yeah, I, look, I think I think there's one thing for me. I think people look at it too personally, and, and they talk about Christian Perslow as the man that he comes across in interviews and stuff. And people think he's a bit smarmy, and people think that oh, you know, I don't particularly like this guy. He's a bit too, you know, up his own, you know, up his own, up his own backside too much. And um, and I always say, well, yeah, but you don't have to be friends with this person. He's the chief executive yeah. of our football club, like, <laughs> and he's there to do a job at the end of the day. And I think, I, I think I just look back to where where we were when he came in. You know, we'd just been taken over by um, Nassef and Wes, and we were, you know, in a pretty dark place. weren't we Steve Bruce was still the manager. We were, you know, looking like we were going to be lower reaches of the championship that season. Obviously, Dean Smith turned it around and pulled us in, up into the Premier League. And from there, the Villa the Villa just evolved, doesn't it? The football club has just massively evolved mm. on on the playing side of it, from out from outside as well. Like, you know, look at the gates at Villa Park now where the the the, the commercial side which which has obviously increased and um the, the the sponsorship deals that the club is, is is generating the money the club is generating really. And the thing is obviously that's that's had to have a lot of support from the owners. Of course it has. But you've had to have a bloke running it day to day though. And that's what Christian Perslow has done. And as you and yeah. as you just said, you know, we've 
improved on the we've improved on on the playing side of things. We've now improved in the managerial department, the academy, the women's team. The facilities at Bonnymore Heath, by the way, are absolutely brilliant now. Like absolutely fantastic. Like they, and they weren't. I'm not saying they were bad before, but they've been brought back up to standard sort of thing again. And um, it's incredible when you go to Bonnymore Heath and see. And um, he's led that. He has led that. And um, you know what? You get things. You do get things wrong. I think if you talk about the Jack Grealish sale, it's that. Was that an impossible task? Because I kind of think it was to replace Jack Grealish. To be honest, he was. Yeah, really. He was. Hard. He was out, and he wasn't just an incredible footballer, but he was Mister Aston Villa. Jack Grealish was, and and I don't think you could ever replace that. To be honest with you, whoever you buy, I don't think you can replace that. And and the thing I'd say, if you look back on paper, and we replaced him with Emmy Brendan, Leon Bailey, and Danny Ings. I think on paper, back that that summer, was anybody against that? I don't. I don't think there were. We looked at it and thought, "Oh, I yeah. think that's the thing, isn't it?" When when it first happened, no one was thinking, "Oh, what's he doing? No. What's he doing? What's he doing?" And you can't do this. That doesn't look right. That doesn't fit. I think, like you said, at the time, everyone was on board and thinking, everyone was buzzing when Danny Ings was signed. Everyone yeah. was buzzing when Bailey Buendia signed. Everyone was absolutely buzzing. So I think that's a little bit unfair. In a yeah, way. exactly. And I think clearly it didn't work to what we wanted it to work, but that happens, doesn't it? And, um, and I think the other thing you just said there, you know, he led, he led us through the COVID pandemic, which, which would have been tough. And he's been our voice in Premier League meetings as well. And, mm. um, and then the other thing I say is uh, he held his nerve really back in that February, March time when Dean Smith, could have been sacked. I mean, other clubs around us at the time, if you remember, were sacking the managers willy-nilly. You look at like Watford, what they did yeah, with like, yeah. Nigel Pearson and stuff. Um, we we held our nerve with Dean Smith and it paid off in the end, didn't it? You know, we worked during that lockdown period and it probably did save us, the the, the pandemic, if we're being honest. Um, but we held our nerve and then we came back and we were slightly different beast, especially defensively, weren't we? And, and essentially, our defensive record at the end of that year was what kept us up. Um, and so it paid mm. off and then Villa finished 11th the next year and probably should have finished higher higher in the end. But I think he's done a good job, if I'm being totally honest. I think he's done a really, really good job. And um, and I think if you look back at previous CEOs that Villa have had, I mean, uh, you know, you go through the likes of Paul Faulkner, Tom Fox, um, Keith Weiner. <laughs> Big Keith. I just think, I just think, <laughs> Have, can we really criticise Perslow too much? I mean, the CEO is never mm. going to be the most favourite person at the football club because he's the one that makes the tough decisions at the end of the day. But I don't think we can look back on Christian Perslow's five years at Villa and say it was a failure on his part or or he should be public enemy number one or anything like that because he did a he did a lot of good. And if it, like I say, day-to-day running of the football club, and if it wasn't for him, I don't think Villa would be in the position we're in right now, if I'm, if, if, if I'm being honest. And so, yeah, I, I'm not saying I'd want to... I want to go for a drink with Christian Purcell, be his best friend, but I don't need to be. He's the, he was the CEO of the football club, and that's where, to me, that's where people lose sight of it a little bit. They think that they've got to be friends with this person, and oh, I don't like him personally. Mm. Well, you don't need to, do you? Um, like for me, I didn't like Steven Gerrard personally, but if he'd have done really well at Villa, I wouldn't have been moaning about it. Yeah, I think it's the fact that he's he's just not really needed in the same role as he now. I think we've seen a lot sort of happen at board level already this summer with two recruitment specialists coming in from Batiste and Villarreal. Chris Heck obviously coming in for the, the commercial marketing sort of thing. Monchi, fellow from uh, Sevilla, a sporting director, looks like he could be coming in um, any day now. So it's sort of Emery Vidigani, who's Emery's PA. Uh, Monchi will oversee the sort of the football side of things and Heck will oversee the business matters. We sort of said as soon as this news broke we were sort of chatting and thinking who's going to be that voice now in Premier League meetings we saw a Premier League meeting at the start of this week about like salary caps and money and things like who's going to be that voice representing Villa in those meetings because when it was Perslow you sort of you sort of backed him and thought 
because he's that sort of character, you sort of fancied him. And he's the type of guy that you want in your corner because he's not going to sit in the corner and just sort of watch and be scared to, to have a voice. He's going to get involved and sort of stand up for himself and stand up for Aston Villa. So uh, who's who's that going to be now? I think the obvious answer is going to be this this Chris Heck, who's coming from um, sort of the Philadelphia 76ers in basketball from America. He's got a small bit of uh, football experience at the New York Red Bulls, but... I don't know, is it is it a cliche to say, well, he's got no Premier League experience, he's never been in England. Is that unfair? I don't know. I think it's definitely a talking point and something we should just just be wary of, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think there's always, a, whenever you have change, there's always a level of scepticism, isn't there? And I think, you know, there's people who out there who, who are blind faith towards their football club and, and that's fine. But, you know, I'd like to look at things with a bit of a, you know, an open mind, really, and think, okay, it could be positive for us and I hope it is. But I think there's also... There's also risk to it, and I think Villa are brave in what they're doing. I don't think there's another club in the whole of the Premier League that don't have a the chief executive. I don't think there's any club that has the model mm. Villa do, and um, maybe it's a bit more of a, a continental model. It probably is. I think. I think if you look at maybe more American, maybe it's of, more of a, a North American sort of model. Potentially. Kind of, but I think it's also like a European model as well. I think if you're looking into like Spain, I don't think they have like CEOs like like we do here. They tend to have these sporting directors and these presidents kind of like what Villa have gone yeah, down presidents. really. And, um, yeah. and I, I think, I think the only, I think the only sort of skepticism I've got, I think there's a couple of elements to it is that number one, you just said the voice in meetings. I think Villa will miss Purs those voice in meetings. If, if we're being totally honest, um, who'll do that? I'm not sure. Like you said, you assume it'd be Chris Heck, but I don't know because a lot of it's about football related matters really. So would it be him if he's not really working on the mm. sporting side of it? Maybe Villa will end up sending like a, a munchy sort of thing if he, if, he, if he does end up joining. I, I don't know. It could be really interesting. And I think there's a couple of other elements for me as well. I think the communication with the fans kind of worries me a yes. little bit. Uh, and I say that just because I remember I remember the Randy Lerner days when we had an owner in Randy Lerner who didn't really communicate directly with the supporters. Kind of similar to Nasser Suarez and Wes Eden, to be fair, because they don't really directly communicate with the fans in terms of giving interviews or anything like that. Um, and with Christian Perslow, he genuinely used to do like it was usually twice a year, wasn't it? He was the midway point of the season, and at, and at the end of the season, he used to give like a, a club update, and he used to talk about if you remember like the stadium plans, he'd talk about the women's team, yeah. the academy, and basically give an update from his point of view, essentially. Um, and I think, I mean, I'll, I'll miss that. I, I, some people won't. Some people just want to hear from the manager, and that's fair enough. But I'll kind of miss that because you like hearing about the direction of the football club. Um, yeah, and it kind of, and I just remember from the Randy Lerner days. I'm not saying it'll be be like this. It make it, I'm making it sound like it's really negative, but I'm not trying to be like that. But I just remember from the Randy Lerner days when the lack of communication thing became a big problem, um, and it became a big stick that everyone used to beat Randy Lerner with uh, because of the communication wasn't brilliant through the football club, and it was that sort of limited football knowledge on the board kind of thing, which it was back then, and mm. so. Look, we, but obviously, it was, again, that was different though because we did have a, we did have CEOs back then, and yet we didn't communicate or we didn't have that football expertise there. I suppose now it's a totally different model. And so, look, I hope it, I hope it works. Um, it's very different. It's very very different. And I think the other the other element to to it for me is that I, I guess I'm not that worried because of how brilliant we were in the second half of the season. And obviously, Unai Emery deserves you know sort of the keys to Villa Park, I suppose. And he sort of got the keys to Villa Park, really. They're putting a lot of faith in him. I mean, they're they're basically yeah. saying, do what you want, basically. Bring who you want in. Um, yeah. And the only thing that worries me with that a little bit is that if Unai Emery, for whatever reason, was to go, does it kind of unravel a little bit? 
you know, what's the succession plans that you've got? Maybe there will be succession plans, but you just think with all of Unai Emery's men in, um, and they're basically running a, a large element of the club, the whole of the football inside of the club. You just wonder, like, does it? Is it a bit of a risk? Is that that's, that's all I'm trying to say? It might not be. It might not be at all, and it might work absolutely fantastically. And let's hope it does. But it's sort of uncharted territory for Villa, isn't it? Yeah, I just I find it really interesting that no other club in the Premier League have gone down this route. Villa are the first ones to do it, so it'll just be interesting to see what happens over the next few months to years, really, because. I think a lot of the what's been going on at Villa have been under the influence of Christian Perslow, really. And so it'll be interesting to see a Villa without Christian Perslow, won't it? Yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. And I think in terms of, like you mentioned there, about when a when a manager does an interview and it's sort of always quite wishy-washy, maybe not with Emery because I really like the way he speaks, but in general, you're probably looking at a manager interview of wishy-washy. But Perslow was always like intriguing and I really wanted to hear from him then that communication was really important as well like the video he did when when Grealish left that was out on Villa TV and he sort of was really slow really clear really transparent in in what had happened talked about Grealish and look we wanted him to stay there was a release clause in his contract when he signed it the, the previous summer he was really really transparent yeah you're probably you're probably not going to get that now because he didn't he didn't have to do that Christian Perslow he, he wasn't told by the media team oh you've got to sit down and address the fans probably he probably didn't have to do it. he probably wanted to do it and fair play to him for that I don't know I just think it's something to to definitely be wary of because I, I just don't think we're gonna we're gonna have that anymore and I don't know it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens look trust in Unai Emery it's interesting to see that they're literally giving him the keys to the mm-hmm. castle and saying do what you like bring in who you like and like you said if everything you know god forbid everything does go wrong and something happens it, it might be it might be an interesting one, but that won't happen. That will not happen. So uh, we'll, we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, I there. think I think when we talk about communication, I think a lot of it will probably fall on the shoulders of, of Manchu if he if he does end up coming. I think if you again if you look at that sort of uh, continental style in Europe of how they have how they do it, I mean they communicate loads in Spain, don't they? They have all these like press conferences all the time about random things, and um, and it's always that sporting director or whatever whatever the role is called. It's usually always that person that does it, and so you kind of feel like Manchi will probably become. I don't know how good he's at English. I hope he is because I, I feel like he'll be the one to to be communicating. To be honest, I I don't see it being Chris Heck if I'm being honest because I, I, the more I think about mm. it. I think, well, how could he communicate about the football inside of things if he doesn't work on the football inside of things? Yeah. So it's going to be somebody from the football inside of things. It's not always going to be Unai Emery, is it? It's going to, there's going to be somebody else as a figurehead. And so you kind of think it probably will be Munchie, won't it? So I hope Munchie's got some English lessons planned in if he hasn't, if he can't speak English already. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure, I'm just joking. I'm sure his English is absolutely fine. Um, I'm not. Well, let's get him over the yeah. line first. He hasn't even joined no, us. Off it sounds like, so we saw yeah, what happened with it, the previous It goal. sounds like it's going to happen though, doesn't it? It sounds like it's a little bit yeah, further yeah. down the line with, with, with this one. It sounds like contracts yeah. are being discussed and it sounds like it's about to go through. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Someone we haven't mentioned as well, just the last bit on this is Johan Lang as well. I think he, he's obviously, he's not going to be that voice probably, but he'll have to sort of read jig and obviously people he's all, he's another sort of scapegoat as well that people talk about and it's like well he wouldn't be the club if he wasn't sort of great at his job and you know making the owners happy and doing what he's supposed to so it'd be interesting to see sort of what he yeah. sort of morphs into or probably have a change and sort of maybe go sort of sideways move or work work alongside Monchi on that sort of level so interesting all move at Villa mate all yeah. move very interesting summer ahead. I'm kind of I'm kind of glad he's sticking around Langer in a way though because obviously he'll be like the continuity isn't yeah it? continuity he'll be sort of like on the club side rather than the manager side I, I would have thought and so 
you know what I mean? I think it'll be, I feel there'll be a bit of a balance there, and I, I'm quite glad yeah. he's sticking around, as you say, for a little bit of continuity, definitely. Right. Should we talk about the only bit of transfer news that's been confirmed so far? I don't know how. How do you say it? Is it Yuri Telemans? Telemans. I really struggle. I mean, I, I noticed it when I was editing the video that we did. I actually really struggled and I pronounced it about three ways. <laughs> so hopefully, I'll learn that before he actually joins the club. Um, we were literally walking into town uh, separately when. Uh, to watch the Champions League final and this news was breaking and I don't know it came out of nowhere really because we talked about it in that transfer video we did a couple of days before I think it was what three days before the news came um, and you were sort of saying I can see this one sort of dragging on yeah. a little bit potentially obviously he's away on internationals at the moment his contract doesn't run out at Leicester until the end of June he's got plenty of choices he'll bide his time whatever I don't know it kind of, kind of came out of the blue didn't it obviously the rumours were there for the previous sort of few days or so but came out of nowhere yeah, I just, I, I mean, my reasoning for thinking it was going to take a little while is just because obviously there was rumours to have so many offers on the table, wasn't there? And um, yeah, I thought it would be one of them ones that drags out and we'd get into a little bit of a bidding war in terms of what we're offering him. And so uh, I thought it was going to drag out for longer. And so yeah, I was quite surprised when Villa, well, it broke from David Ornstein first, didn't it, from the Athletic? And then, mm. um, and then the Villa announced it very soon afterwards. But yeah, I mean, good work from the club, really, getting in a, an experienced signing like that he's only tw- he's only 26 still I thought he was older actually as well I was quite surprised he's only mm. 26 um, played a lot of Premier League games obviously linked with big money moves previously to the likes of Arsenal etc in previous years and yeah I know he didn't have a great season with Leicester and, but nor did anybody really um, and that was for a, ma- you know, a number of reasons wasn't it but he's a good player he's a very very good player and um, you know started for Belgium um, all the time as well and so for, for and, and I think Emery wants more players who are comfortable on the ball as well um, and Tielemans is exactly that sort of player, you know, how Villa are playing it out from the back these days. And that's exactly what Emery wants. And so he'll provide good competition and give us something a little bit different as well. I mean, if you think about, I mean, our midfield's incredible now, if you think about it. We've got the likes of, you know, Kamara Louise, John McGinn, Tielemans, Jacob Ramsey, and then you've got like a Dendonka as another backup as well. You've got some really, really good players there. I mean, yeah. we went from under Gerard from us being. The midfield is probably the weakest area of our squad under Gerard. To it's probably been the strongest area of our squad under Unai Emery, which yeah, yeah. which is absolutely mad. And obviously that that goes to show the type of form like Douglas Louise and John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey have been. To be fair as well, but yeah, I just think uh, it really adds that really adds something else into that midfield, and it just makes us look really really strong. So it was a top top signing and a great way to start the summer transfer window. Yeah, a couple of stats that I quite like on it is that he's played the out of all the players in the Villa squad in terms of how many minutes they've I think it's how many minutes they've played in sort of their club career. He's played the second most behind Coutinho and he's only 26. So to play like a lot as much football as that, it's amazing. I think he broke through in the Andalek squad yeah. when he was like 16, 17 and he sort of played like constantly throughout is like, what talking 10 years now. So he's played a lot of football, got a lot of Premier League experience under his belt as well. Been at Leicester for sort of five years, won the FA Cup there, scored the, an absolute rocket um, in that final to win it for them. He's had a slow year or so at Leicester, but like you said, everyone has. There's a great player in there. And I think the main thing is that he provides that competition for Louise and Kamara, potentially could play alongside Kamara, push Louise forward if we have to. Yeah. I don't know. It just gives you that option, doesn't it? It just gives you 
that sort of different dimension. You've still got Dendonka in there if you want to be a little bit more solid. He's obviously played with Silliman's in, in that Belgium side as well. So there's a lot of sort of options there. And another stat as well is that sort of that whole midfield that you listed off there costs less than we sold uh, Chuck Maweka to Chelsea for. Yeah. So that was something <laughs> that was quite quite bittersweet in there. But yeah, you're looking at that depth now midfield and it's so strong, isn't it? Well, it is exactly. And, um, you know, you're not, it's enhancing the squad, isn't it? You're not relying on the likes of, you know, with, with all due respect to them, you're not relying on the likes of like Nakamba anymore or uh, Morgan Sanson. It's, you know, you're bringing in players like Tielemans, which, you know, is mad, isn't it, really? And that's the thing. You, mm. we, we're going to need that rotation for, hopefully, if we get into the group stage of Europe, we're going to need it for all the games we've got. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's really positive. And I think it's, a, it's low risk for Villa as well. Obviously, they'll be paying in big money in wages, but... Um, obviously, we haven't had to pay a transfer fee for him, and so I think if you worked it out, it's probably still cheaper than what we would have done anyway. If you'd have tried to sign a player of that sort of quality midfield, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there was a lot of rumours going around for a while about Gwen Doozy, wasn't there? But what were they asking for? Like thirty-five million, something like that. And then you think about the wages yeah, yeah. he'd have been on, and yet Villa have, you know, got a player in that sort of midfield position on a free transfer. Essentially, he's been he's been playing at the highest level for for a number a number of years and got a lot of experience, and so. It's a coup for Villa. It's a massive coup because I think if you look at Tielemans, I think he would, I think he would get onto the bench at every single Premier League side, even the likes of mm. Man City, Arsenal, etc. To be fair, and so yeah, I think it's a really, really good sign of memory, and um, he's moved really fast. And I quite like what Tielemans said about how Emery personally called him and sold him the projects and where Villa are trying mm. to go and stuff. And I quite like that. Obviously, it shows that Emery, well, he hasn't wasted any time as he? he hasn't took any holiday yet as he's got he's, he's stuck he's got stuck straight into you know building the side ahead of next year and yeah really great way to start and it just sort of whets the appetite for what's to come really doesn't it yeah loving it absolutely loving it I've, I've saw someone post a compilation on twitter of sort of all the belters that Tillemans has scored i think he scored one away at wolves everton recently that obviously that fa cup goal as well oh and it sort of got me thinking that we don't score enough absolute belters i was trying to think of like the last sort of absolute like we score nice goals of course we do and we're talking about it in our so i think okay i've just it's just come to me that troy already against leicester one but yeah. in terms of like absolute rockets like i think Grealish against derby that sort of volley from the edge of the box sort of goals that sort of just make your jaw drop that sort of thing i think you've got them sort of louise goals at the start of sort of the premier league era which were nice the sort of goals that really like make you go wow i think tillemans has got that in his locker so hopefully we see that because we were all sort of thinking that with Coutinho weren't we when he signed us oh if we can see sort of one or two rockets that'll be class but with Tillemans I think you've got that option haven't you you have yeah you have he he, he has definitely got that in his locker and um yeah it adds that little bit of yeah it adds that little bit of something else into the team doesn't it um but I know it's a sign in that it's a sign in that we'd only dream of making like what a year ago or a couple of years ago and so for us to be able to pull it off, um, yeah, it was really, really good. And just, yeah, just quick work, really. We're not messing around, were we? Are we in the transfer market? Yeah, yeah. We just got it done quietly as well, really, again, which is what Villa's sort of trademark is a little bit, isn't it? From players from players who are applying the trade in this country anyway, like Villa's trademark is always we keep it quiet, don't we? And that's exactly what we did again. And uh, yeah, yeah, really, really pleased. I'm looking forward to seeing him play, actually. Yeah, lovely. That sort of balance in midfield now is absolutely beautiful. But we'll move on from that then. A few other bits and bobs that we'll mention towards the end of this podcast. Obviously, the in terms of pre-season, Warsaw and the Lazio fixtures were announced. I think 
when that uh, Lazio fixture got announced, I was out and about and I got a message from, I don't know if anybody knows, Fusion Josh, who's another YouTuber, uh, Bryson fan, but he's got a soft spot for Lazio as well. He was very excited that we've got a pre-season game in there with Lazio and I, he messaged me and I was sort of thinking, oh my God, are we off to Rome here? Is are the Villa away in Rome? Because I know the club was sort of saying and my old man said at the, the sort of the club meetings that Villa was saying a big European friendly was on the horizon the week before the season starts. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, Lazio have had a great season. They're going to be in the Champions League next season. It makes sense. And then I see it's the sort of best got pound land and it's like, oh, it's not, it's not, not quite the same. I think I think it's sort of, it's on a Thursday night as well. So it's probably preparing you for like them tough Thursday night games in a sort of strange location against the European side. But should be a good one, that should be a good one. Yeah, it's something different, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it's weird playing at Warsaw though, isn't it? I, I remember when we played West Ham at the best got, do you remember that? Years ago. Yeah, I remember that yeah. one. We, we, did, did Adam Hudson score in that game? That oh, was, was someone know. weird. Was it Glenn Whelan? I d- Somebody I really bizarre scored in that game. I don't game. really remember. I remember Snodgrass <laughs> scoring, but for West Ham, I remember that. Uh, but oh, okay. he got like he got like applauded by Villa fans when he scored for West Ham. It's a weird, <laughs> weird one. So I feel like it's going to be like that. Villa Lazio at Besiktas Stadium. It's not going to be one. Not going to be one for the for the record books. I don't think people are going to look back and be like, you know, it's not going to be like really memorable. I don't think. But you know what? It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting, and we'll be there, obviously. So, so yeah. But yeah, and then so yeah, we've got what? What is it? We got War, we start out with Warsaw, and then we jet out to America and play the in the Premier League series, summer series, and then we come back and play Lazio. So it's quite a mix, really, isn't it? It's actually it's actually quite tough, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's quite quite a tough preseason. I mean, like sometimes you play teams where. You know, you're guaranteed a win, and you gar- it's like a bit of a like a, just a fitness run out, isn't it? Really, like your Kidderminsters, yeah. your Telfords, that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember <laughs> in years gone by, we've flown out to places like Germany and Sweden. I remember at one point in Austria, and you play like really second rate, second rate sides, and but it doesn't really challenge you though, does it? And I suppose, I suppose Villa's fixtures will challenge, will challenge them. I mean, for instance, we play Newcastle in the summer series over in um, over in America only two weeks before we play them in the Premier League, so. You know, interesting. It, it is interesting, nice. and it'll be. I think you'll probably be able to take a lot from them fixtures. To be fair, I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see. So, yeah, quite an interesting preseason lined up for Villa, and it will give us an yeah, like I say, give us an idea about how how the how we're going to start the season, really. Definitely, and we'll talk about all the the Conference League sort of seeding stuff that seems to change day within days on Twitter. Like it's just mental people talking about who we want to win the the Turkish league and who we want to win the Romanian Cup final and things like yeah. that. I'm just staying away from it, to be honest. It seems, I mean, there's one Twitter account that sort of is quite good at sort of saying all the information, but it's so complicated. It's mad. Will Villa be seeded? Will we not be seeded? Who knows? But I'm looking at the sides sort of at, at the top of the Conference League, sort of the, the top of the seeded category. You've got Juventus, Frankfurt, Club Bruges, Basel, Panathinaikos, RZ Alkmaar, teams like that. And you're sort of thinking, why not? Because I was watching West Ham last week and I was like, this that is incredible. Yeah. I've seen like vlogs of people over there and sort of the emotion and I'm so, so jealous. We talked about it in our transfer video. We filmed that actually before the final, but seeing everything that happened in Prague with West Ham, insanely jealous, mate. And people are sort of so nervous about, oh my God, we could get Juventus. Bring it on, man. Absolutely bring it on. Why not? I think Juventus is probably, uh, you know, a tough one. But anybody else... Well, even Juventus, why not? Bring it on. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not even that bothered if it is Juventus, to be honest. I still think over two legs, we've got enough to beat Juventus. I don't think they're what they, what they used to be, if I'm being honest. But there's still a thing overhanging Juventus anyway. Like, there's, they're not guaranteed to be yeah, in the competition yeah. because of financial yeah. irregularities and stuff. But um, yeah, so it could be that. I mean, if you look at the, you, you say not the unseeded, seeded thing. Um, 
I still think Villa will be seeded because if you look at it, there's like nine. Apparently, there's like nine fixtures which which are happening between um, obviously seeded and unseeded clubs in the in the third qualifying round, whatever it is. Um, and mm. Villa just need one. Villa just need need one seeded club to lose, which one out of nine. I mean, it's it's yeah. quite possible it will happen. I mean, it won't be. You won't get loads of them. But you'd pro- probably get one, I would have thought, out of nine. And so I still think Villa might be seeded, to be honest, which, again, I'm not that bothered by it. It just makes it a little bit simpler, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, what you just touched on there about the West Ham uh, scenes, like last week in the Conference League final, I mean, that was just incredible, wasn't it? And I watched it, and I was so happy West Ham won. And just watching the scenes afterwards, like David David Moyes was just absolutely buzzing, wasn't it? <laughs> um, and like Declan Rice, just absolutely loving it. And, I, I just yeah. thought it was great. Mark Noble was out on the pitch and he was like literally, I don't know if you could believe his eyes that, that he'd seen West Ham win, you know, a European trophy. And I just, I looked at that and I thought that, that must be incredible for West Ham. And people can say what they like about the Conference League, but you watch West Ham and how they celebrate it and you think, yeah, this is this is exactly why, why the Conference League was created essentially, isn't it? Yep. I mean... We talk about like foreign clubs throughout Europe who don't get a chance to play in big European competition or have a chance at winning stuff. You could say the same about England. I always say that because you've now got the likes of Man City, Arsenal, etc., who dominate at the top. And apart from like a fluke sort of season like Leicester had all them years ago, and or apart from like an absolutely relentless season like Newcastle had this season, getting into the Champions League. Clubs, clubs like us and West Ham and people like that don't get the chance very often to to mm. go and compete for for such trophies, and so. For West Ham, it was it's probably the best thing that's happened in West Ham's history for a very, very, very long time. Um, in most people, most West Ham fans' lifetimes, and then yet you get people who are saying it's like a Mickey Mouse tournament. It doesn't really matter. I mean, well, the people who say that, the people who say that are these sort of Twitter merchants yeah, yeah. or people who people who don't or people who support Liverpool who are from Birmingham or people who support Man City from London who don't actually get it they don't get it they don't support a side like us who would take it in our stride and if we got there and if we won it it would be for a fan it would be life-changing mate because I've said it a billion times never seen us win anything etc and I saw a video of a young West Ham fan outside the ground he must have been about 10 and he was in tears and he was saying West Ham are the best team in the world and that's what football is about that is exactly what football is about for clubs like us who haven't been in Europe for over a decade that's where you want to be and it's a great starting point bring on next season. So jealous of West Ham. Fair play to Yeah, you. exactly. And that's the thing. We're in football to win trophies, aren't we? We're in, we're in football to, you know, see success for our football clubs. Why Why wouldn't you want that? And uh, these people who say, oh, you know, it's a brand new tournament or it's a made-up tournament. And I'd never understand why people say that because every tournament's got to be made up at some point. <laughs> so it's so it doesn't don't really make sense to me, that one, doesn't it? And then people say it's also... This is what I keep seeing as well. People keep saying it's the replacement for the Intertoto Cup, but it wasn't. The Intertoto Cup was was like your early stages of your UEFA Cup. It was basically like your qualifying rounds. The Intertoto was years ago. Mm-hmm. And then they just they just changed that into just earlier qualifying rounds in the UEFA Cup. So it's not it's not the same at all. So yeah, buzzing for it. I am absolutely buzzing for it. Can't wait for the draw to be made on was it August the seventh or something like that. Um, yeah, it's very it's very close to the old when it, when it's actually taking place. Like it's only what is it a couple of weeks before the actual first first round in the qualifying. So yeah. I haven't got much time to sort of plan where we're going to go. So that'll be fun, sort of scrambling around on Sky Scanner trying to find flights to the arse end of nowhere. But sure, sure we'll look forward to that. That's part of the fun, isn't it? I'm sure, we'll find a way. You know, you know what we like. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we will find a way. Whether that's by plane, boat, riding a bike, I don't know. We'll be there. Let's, let's be totally honest. 
Yeah, buzzing, right? Absolutely buzzing. And only a couple of weeks till America now. Yeah. Only a couple of weeks till we jet out to America. Um, Kyle Williams actually asked a, a question on Twitter. Um, he says, "What are you most looking forward to now for the America trip?" Um, I'd probably, I'd probably say just like the culture and sort of creating content. Like I've never, never been to America, and the fact that we're sort of going all over the place. I think we're going to what four plus cities. Obviously, going into New York, mm. Philadelphia, Washington, Orlando as well. So there's a big big bit of america that you're covering there so i'm just buzzing to create content out there i think i sent i sent a screenshot of like my my content plan to you yeah. and i was like we're gonna do a podcast this day this day this day we're gonna do a video this day this day and there's just so much content that i really want to get out there because i say it's once in a lifetime but we'll probably do another stupid preseason trip next season where we'll go to somewhere else mental but i'm just buzzing for the content side of things for me. So good. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, and for me, I'm just... And you know what I'm going to say? I'm just absolutely buzzing to go to Universal Studios. So, oh, there we go. Come on, man. That, See, that's why, uh, I'm not, that's why I'm not excited about. That's not my bag. That's not my look, bag. Man, look, it's, I'm fulfilling a childhood dream right here. I might be I might be 30 <laughs> years of age, but I'm fulfilling a childhood dream. Like I'm absolutely... I love the Jurassic Park films, and so that's why I'm absolutely buzzing to go to Universal. So, Universal Orlando, Kamala, that's it can't wait but no, no. Good on you. In, in all, to be fair in all seriousness <laughs> i'm buzzing for the whole trip it'll just be it'll just be great being away for 10 11 days as you say sampling all these different cities along the east coast of america and uh yeah i just i just can't wait for it all really it's just uh i've been i've, I've been to new york um, i've been to new york a couple of times but that's the only place i've been to in america and so I'm looking forward to seeing Washington and, and Philadelphia and Orlando on top of New York as well. So, yeah, I'm buzzing for the whole trip. Absolutely buzzing for it. Can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be so good. Keep an eye out on the Villa on Tour for all that content because it's going to be it's going to be very, very good. So then, like I said, keep an eye out on all the channels for that. Then future content will jump on if any major sort of news breaks or anything like that. But I've quite enjoyed this sort of like roundup podcast, just chatting through all the, all the sort of stuff that's going on. It's been quite good. Keep an eye out on the Villa on Tour YouTube channel as well because we have got a few plans there as well. Um, uh, recreating goals video that'll be quite fun i'm looking forward to doing that um that should be an interesting one always good fun doing that so keep an eye out on the podcast channels keep an eye out on the villa on tour youtube channel as well lots of good stuff coming your way thank you very much uh, simon for coming on and chatting all things villa thank you very much to you guys for listening as well and up the villa mm-hmm.